Season 1, Episode 3, Kill Me Now. To fulfill a school sports requirement, Rory goes golfing with her grandfather. Meanwhile, Lorelai deals with a chaotic event at work while trying to cope with the fact that her daughter may have more in common with her parents than she would have liked. Hello and welcome to Stars Hollow. This is your host, Rachel Foss. Again with me today and for the last time is my friend, Chrisana. And Chrisana, I'm glad you're here today because I actually made an extra special treat for us. In this episode, we have a blueberry shortcake that comes up. So I thought it would be fun to actually put together a blueberry shortcake for us. I'm excited to try it. That's very good. Do you like it? Yeah. It's lemon blueberry cake. With whipped cream, fresh blueberries. Is it improving your day? It's not making it worse. <laughs> I guess that's high praise. Ooh! Is it storming again? Yeah! I, this is going to be an interesting podcast because my hearing is impaired right now because my ear is still plugged. Chrisana, doth thou hearest me? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> have you done anything fun this week or have you been watching anything streaming? That you know, made you, you happy? know damn well what I've been watching. <laughs> watching Married at First Sight season four randomly and I love it. I, I fell in love with this show at first sight. Uh, it's just the perfect television show. Well I watched this movie last weekend that I did tell you about a little bit called Vast of Night and I'm just obsessed yes. with it. It's very Twilight zone and it has just beautiful cinematography. The story could be anything. It's about aliens. I don't care about aliens. Man just I can't get over that scene I showed you where they're just like walking and it's almost one entire shot. And then when they go through the town, that low camera, um, man, it made my heart beat fast. Just, it was so good. But I want everybody to watch it because I've never heard of this movie. I've never heard anybody talk about this movie. I never heard Amazon promote it. I've never heard of it either. I definitely am going to watch it because I do think that I should probably break up my Married at First Sight addiction with quality like art. But every night my crasser side has won. I mean, I found it very enjoyable. I don't think it's the best movie I've ever seen, but it is one of the best technical movies I have seen in a long time. Also, I want to mention something that has happened this week related to what we talked about last week. And that has to do with the Dixie Chicks. <gasps> yes. So last week we talked about the Dixie Chicks because Louise calls Rory a Dixie Chick because she's from Stars Hollow. And I mentioned that the Dixie Chicks have a very problematic name and no one was talking about that. But apparently people were talking about that because the Dixie Chicks announced yesterday, Thursday, June 24th, that they are changing their name from Dixie Chicks to the Chicks because they recognize that Dixie is a very problematic name. It's associated with the land of slaves basically yeah and I just thought that was really cool so I'm sorry but I just feel like we spoke that into the universe and we saw it come back to us yes that episode has not aired yet (laughs) um, as of the time that we are recording this so it is unclear how we relayed our message but I think waves of energy did emanate out to the chicks and they made a decision they're cool I'm not really into country music so I was never really into them back then I mean I'm not either I can't say that I listen to them really but I've always had positive associations with them as a band I didn't really think about their name but yeah yeah this it's pretty cool that that happened just in the last week when we were talking about it yeah because honestly like I haven't talked about the Dixie Chicks in 20 years I mean, that's the weirdest thing you said about them thus far. Exactly. <laughs> so this is episode three of the season, Kill Me Now. This one is actually not written by any Paladinos. This is written by Joanne Waters, and it originally aired on October 19th, 2000. I feel like there is a lot of gender shaming in this episode. Yes. Like in general, like throughout the episode. Yes. Are you with me on this? I felt a little bit of discomfort. This is a little big surprise for me. We open up this episode at the Gilmore's dinner table. It is yet another Friday night dinner. It appears that they have already kind of settled into the routine of it. And Lorelai is really enjoying the food. She makes a comment on how delicious the cassoulet is. Do you know what a cassoulet is? Not even close. 
A cassoulet is a French casserole, primarily made of white beans and meat, usually duck, with sausages or mutton. Alrighty. Mm-hmm. That's why I did now, not know what a cassoulet is. Now you know. Emily and Richard then go on to a whole spiel listing all the different maids. Then she lists off Anton. And Richard's like, oh yeah, that's the one I liked. And this leads Lorelai to kind of lean in and be like, how did you get those two people confused when one of them is a man and one of them is a woman? But one of them was a man and one of them was a woman. And she says it multiple different times. Okay, Lorelai, just stop. Like, it's not that big a deal. Sometimes the jokes in the show are very, what you would call, reaching. Yes. And I feel like that's one of them. Women look this way and men look this way. I don't think she was trying to imply anything necessarily, but that's kind of how that particular moment hit me. Lorelai's pretty alarmed that her parents don't seem to be really in tune with who they are employing. And I think that's a part of it. They don't even pay attention to who's in their house. Yeah. Like serving them dinner. But one is a man and one is a woman. <laughs> well, Emily looks beautiful again. She's wearing a starfish brooch. I did not notice that. I don't understand. How that fit into the theme. Yeah. That's not cassoulet. They don't live in Cape Cod. Yeah, it's a little whimsical for her. And it's the fall. So it's not like even like a summer accessory, but. That seems like a pretty random costume choice for sure. Rory decides to play peacemaker. So she compliments the China, which gives Richard an opportunity to point out that the China belonged to his mother, Lorelai the first. And here's where we learn that our Lorelai's choice to name Rory after herself, it was like her decision, but it wasn't something that originated with her. She was carrying on a family tradition and choosing to do so. That kind of recontextualizes her choice to me. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I did tell you that in the first episode. I forgot that you told me that, which made it that much more exciting That's okay. this time. The thing that bothered me about this conversation is that both Emily and Richard talk about Lorelai the first as if she's dead, but she's absolutely not. She, oh. come, she comes to visit them later in the season. Yeah, I would have, I assumed that she was dead. Emily doesn't look super thrilled in this scene to even have Lorelai the first brought up. And I'm wondering if they have bad blood between them and her leaving her china with them was kind of Lorelai the first way of making her presence linger within Emily's home. Spoilers. The conversation moves to what's going on in Lorelai and Rory's lives. They are planning a big wedding that will have people coming from all around the nation to attend. Lorelai brings up that Rory has to pick a school sport. And she lists off a bunch of random sports. She comes across golf. Well, Richard plays golf. Richard then follows this up with physical fitness is as important as intellectual fitness. Then he drives straight off the deep end by making the statement far more ridiculous by saying... So says Plato, and so say I. But that is what Plato said. That was the whole thing that Plato was basing everything on. That was Plato's description of how we kind of live our life in the Western world. That's why we have sports in school now. It was still a very dramatic statement. I mean, it doesn't really feel that far-fetched for Richard's character, and it was also factual. I mean, our Western education is based on the format that Plato invented, and that is sports and education. That's why we have gym. It's why we have so much sports heaviness at our schools. So I think it actually makes perfect sense. It was very dramatic for me. Just as a reminder, Plato was a Greek philosopher of the classical age. He is considered one of the founders of Western ideals and democracy. But Rory, one of her sports options is golf. Richard plays golf, as you said. A plus B equals C. So she makes that offer, and then neither Rory nor Richard seem super into that idea at first, and Lorelai takes that opportunity to swoop in and hopefully, in her mind, save the day. Lorelai is not too happy about Emily trying to push them together. Richard clearly does not want to do it, and Rory feels very awkward in the situation, but we all know deep down, Lorelai it really is afraid. Emily is correct. She's being a huge bee about it, but Lorelai is very concerned about Rory joining their world. Absolutely. Which made the way that she cross-examined her and like rhetorically cornered her all the more thrilling to watch. I mean, she really like, she sets up all these rhetorical questions and she basically frames a conversation in such a way to call Lorelai out 
for being controlling and presuming to know things about her daughter's interiority that it's really up to Rory to decide upon and communicate. So it was a really interesting scene. It's setting up a really interesting conflict for the rest of the episode. And Lorelai interjects at one point during one of those rhetorical questions and says, okay, Bob Barker. So most of you probably know, but just in case, Bob Barker was the host of The Price is Right for 35 years before Drew Carey took it over. Also, I really feel for this scene because the way Emily talks to Lorelai with the whole use Lorelai's golf clubs, they're just sitting in her room gathering dust, just like the rest of her potential. And then when Lorelai is like, can I talk to you in the room, please? And Emily goes, you are the oddest person. And just the way she speaks to her with all those rhetorical questions, twisting them to turn them around on her and say, you're the one being controlling. This was exactly the relationship between me and my stepmother when I was in high school, Uh which is why it was so difficult. This is not the exact dynamic I had with a preferential figure, but the idea of being in a conversation with someone who will always win the conversation, no matter who is right, that is a familiar feeling to me for sure. Oh, there was a line where she said... When Lorelai was like, this is not about you. And then Emily was like, of course it's about me. And I just love taking lines out of context because that just (laughs) is such like a a bad bitch thing to say. Like, of course it's about me. After Lorelai has to admit defeat, she and Rory leave Friday dinner. And she's super apologetic to Rory that she ended up being harangued into going on a golf trip with her grandfather on Sunday at the country club. Rory seems to be pretty chill about it, but she does ask if Lorelai can join her. Lorelai's not that sorry, though, and she goes on to make a series of very dramatic statements of things that she would rather do than go to the country club. Two of the most notable being that she would rather slide down a banister of razor blades and she would rather eat her own hand. Also, she mentions that she would rather have her face surgically altered like the rich lady with the lion head. She is referring to Jocelyn Wildstein. I'm assuming you don't know who this woman is. Here are her pictures. Oh. (laughs) That's not the reaction I thought I would get from you. Was this her intended outcome? She has been getting surgery for years because she wants to look, as she says, more feline. And she has found success. Listeners, I will post some pictures of Jocelyn on our Instagram page for you to browse through. Please take a look. I will say that this is not a choice I would have made, but she has accomplished her goal and power to her. In the next scene, we're at the end getting ready for an event. It's a wedding. We meet the Shale family. Mrs. Shales is played by Megan Fay. I did recognize her, so I was like, what has this lady been in? And I know her very well as Lily's mother from How I Met Your Mother. But she's been in like a thousand other things. The daughters, Jackie and Jessica, are played by Kelly and Ashley Cohen. They've done a few things, mostly together, but Ashley alone was on The Bold and the Beautiful, which is a very popular soap opera when I was younger. Oh, I've definitely heard of The Bold and the Beautiful, although I will admit I missed that. I did not watch it. I used to watch soap operas all the time in junior high and high school because that is when Jonathan Jackson played Lucky and General Hospital. And I was super into Jonathan Jackson at the time. Uh-huh. Okay. But then he left the show and I lost interest. I missed out. I also don't know who Jonathan Jackson is. Sounds like he was a lot more popular in the 90s. Mrs. Shales clearly dislikes her daughters, which I relate. I also don't like them. I also don't like most children, even though they're fully grown. Yes. No, I definitely vibe with Mrs. Shales. She has a somewhat dour, tired, somewhat like grumpy in a refined way vibe to her. And that's something I can definitely relate with. My favorite line from her in this scene is, my Advil is wearing off. Thought that was a really iconic moment for sure. And she's very stressed out. She hates bickering with her daughters. She hates the fact that she has to even go through this. She just wants her daughters to get married and leave her alone. Lorelai can tell that she's stressed. And because she's very good at her job, Mm -hmm. she knows how to make her clients and guests happy. So she offers to send Mrs. Shales up to her room with a bottle of wine on the house and a masseur that looks strikingly like Antonio Banderas. And Antonio Banderas is a very popular and attractive Spanish actor. I don't know what he's been in lately, but definitely in the year 2000, he would have been a hit back then. It was definitely hot stuff at the time. By the way, the masseur's name is Rory. What? Yeah. 
I don't know what to make of that. Now, what we really need is for that masseur to make his way over here right now, because what I could use is some wine and a massage. So Emily continues her masterful orchestration of the relationship between Rory and Richard. Richard, he, he's not excited. He's just fulfilling what she told him to do, but he's a little bit on edge. First of all, Rory's late. Maybe she doesn't even want to go with him either. Emily is not going to let that attitude stand. She is determined to take advantage of this opportunity for them to forge a relationship with Rory. Tee off is at eight. You'll tee off when you tee off. <laughs> it sounds so threatening. You'll <laughs> tee off when you tee off. Being late is not Rory. She, oh yeah. That's just not her personality. This is a very badly written scene, unless something like the only way that Rory would have been late to this is if Lorelai made her late, which is very possible because as we saw in the previous episode, yeah. Lorelai is the one who made Rory late. I think that's 100% what happened. Lorelai was late. Yeah. But Rory shows up and Richard's very pleasant. He's trying to make the best of it for his granddaughter. Emily is very excited. You can appreciate that she wants to get to know her granddaughter. She wants her granddaughter to be in their life more. And she knows that Richard is a little bit more standoffish about this. She wants Richard and Rory to have a good relationship because she understands why it's so important. This is their granddaughter. They've really not been a part of her life. And she is so excited. And I can appreciate that about Emily. That's why she's doing this. I think Emily is doing something right here. She wants this to come together. She knows it'll be a good thing in the long run. Richard loves his wife. He respects Emily's decision making. He understands why it's important. He is doing it begrudgingly, but he is at least doing it with respectability towards Rory. But I do wonder how much of his reluctance is due to the fact that he's afraid to get close to Rory only to have her possibly taken away again. I think Richard thinks that Rory is like Lorelai. Yeah, I do think that that's probably playing a role in how he's feeling right now. Now let's talk about the hat that <sighs> Emily gives Rory, okay. this Rastafarian hat. I'm not sure how they got it. Emily finds a hat for her that does not go with Rory's outfit at all. And that has like Rastafarian colors. And not only is this very kind of shocking when you understand the correlation of the colors, especially on a very white girl, Emily goes on to say that she looks like Tiger Woods, which doesn't make any sense for a myriad of reasons. One being the fact that Tiger Woods has never worn a hat like that. He actually famously wears one very specific kind of hat. He always wears a black hat, either a Nike black hat or his own personal Tiger Woods emblem black hat. Never has he ever worn any kind of hat like that ever. The reason that she chose Tiger Woods to compare Rory to in that moment is because he was the most famous golfer at the time. But I did have a response to that moment because right after Emily says, oh, now you look just like Tiger Woods, Rory says, mm, some hat. How the joke works is that Rory and Tiger Woods don't look anything at all alike. Really would take a magical hat for her to actually look like Tiger Woods. But I feel like the subtext of that joke is a little bit tricky for me in 2020. She is a white teenager and he is a black adult man. There is such a difference between the way that white women and the way that black men, even if they are rich, are perceived in this country and are perceived socially. I don't think it was intended to come across the way that it did for me in this moment, but I do feel that that joke, had they been you know, comparing her to another famous golfer who was white, it wouldn't have landed in the same way. So I feel like that's something that's worth putting out there at this time. Yeah, definitely when this is said in 2000, it does make a lot more sense. At the time, Tiger Woods was total hot shit. Yeah. Even I, I don't like golf. I fucking hate golf. I think it is the stupidest sport in the world. And I think it's a waste of earth space. But that's not the point of this conversation. But Tiger Woods was a very attractive golfer. He was young. He won all these awards and championships right out of the gate as a young man. He became famous. He became world-renowned. So Emily saying that in 2000 does make a lot of sense because honestly, to this day, I could not name another golfer other than my brother-in-law. I think what's so hard today is because today is June 26th, which means we have been going through a lot of stuff in the United States right now. 
you know, a good and a bad way because we are talking about Black Lives Matter right now and we are talking about this subject. So it is in our faces right now. Yeah. So to watch something like that today as as in not today in this era but literally today is very jaunting and I think anything that happens like that throughout the show is going to feel that way which is exactly why I am so happy to do this podcast this whole podcast is about watching this show that I do love that I grew up with but in the year 2020 and in the 2020s because we are in a very different world right now I am in a different headspace than I was when I was 14 and the world has changed. I certainly look at Tiger Woods differently. So I mean, he, yeah, <laughs> that's I'll, a whole other. That's a whole other story. But also, be, not just all the shit that he's done in the past twenty years, but also the fact that now I see him as being championship black man, half Asian and half black, and he was a star in a primarily white sport. which is groundbreaking in itself. But I certainly wasn't thinking about that aspect. I was just like, oh, Tiger Woods, like he's just in the, he's popular, he's in the news. But now, you know, I'm an adult because of the things I've seen Tiger Woods do for the past 20 years, because of the world we live in now. I see him differently. I feel differently about him. And I feel differently about that situation. Yeah. According to The Guardian, it says that Woods is indeed a rich mix of racial and ethnic heritage. His father, Earl, was of African-American, Chinese, and Native American descent. His mother, Coltita, is of Thai, Chinese, and Dutch descent. And they both came together and created a beautiful man. Lorelai walks into the inn. I am wondering what Michelle does in his free time, like when he's not working. Is that something that comes up in the normal series? I guess so, yeah. I just think it's interesting because it's like, I can definitely on some level relate to the whole, oh, I'm at work. I'm here because I have to be. I want to know who is Michelle when he's not grinding for pay? What is it that he would rather be doing? We look up and we see that the grooms, they are also twins. So what we have here is a twin on twin wedding. And Lorelai says, oh, it's like a snooty double mint commercial. I don't know if you're too young to remember this. In the early 90s, the double mint commercials that ran, do you remember any of those? I don't remember anything clearly, but I do have a general vibe. Like I know the energy of a double mint commercial. It was always really peppy, fancy twins, like blonde twin girls riding a bike together. That's what she's referring to. And going back to the fiancés that show up, the fiancés are named Matt and Mark. They are played by Chris and Matt Hoffman. And no, Matt did not play Matt. He played Mark. Once Michelle is clear on what's going on, he characteristically makes a joke about when to expect clowns and... A very derogatory word. For little people um, to come in. So just thought we would point out that that is not a cool way to refer to little people. Thank you, Winston, for your commentary. He also says, when you talk, it's like the teacher in the Charlie Brown cartoon. The Charlie Brown teacher is the one who you never see because you never see adults in Charlie Brown. Mm -hmm. But you hear the teacher go, wah, 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 Which is all I'm saying this whole episode is wah, 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 wah. We cut to Rory and her grandfather, Richard, walking through the golf course, looking in their golf finest. They're making very light chit-chat, talking about how to get into the country club and how serious the screening is. You know, Richard is trying his best. He really is making an attempt to connect with his granddaughter, so we can appreciate that. He mentions the merger of Forescape and DSS happened right here on this lawn. Well, I tried to look it up and I'm 99% sure those companies don't exist. Those are fake companies. Richard asks Rory, what do you know about golf? Rory says that it's a good walk spoiled. Now, this is a pretty common phrase. Actually, Richard says that phrase again in season four. So we'll actually hear it again in this show. And it is a phrase that's used quite often referring to golf. A lot of people attribute that phrase to Mark Twain. But when I did a deep dive search, I found out that that was false. And they recognize that that is false. Actually, it can be traced earliest to a 1903 book by H.S. Scrivener, where he writes... To play golf is to spoil an otherwise enjoyable walk. 
I would agree with that, even though I have never played golf. That does seem like a good walk spoiled. Yeah, it really does. Because it also takes up a lot of green space that could be used for people to enjoy and not just for rich white people to enjoy. And like cut deals, shape the world. Look, I'm sorry if all of you out there are golfers, but I hate golf and I wish it (laughs) would leave and go back to Scotland where it belongs. Yeah, that was a really intense (laughs) statement. We are transported back into Suki's kitchen. Jackson was supposed to bring strawberries because Suki has to make strawberry shortcake for this very fancy, very picky wedding. Jackson shows up with 200 blueberries. And then he says, oh, the reason I didn't bring the strawberries is because they were quote, no good. What exactly does that mean? Because in the last episode, you brought a whole batch of peaches that were overly watery and weren't of good quality. And then you told Suki, what do you mean they taste like water? They're peaches. They taste like peaches. So why is that same thought process not applying to the strawberries? And why does he think it's okay to bring blueberries instead of strawberries for a high demand wedding? The relationship between Suki and Jax at this point has to rely on trust and openness, and that's not happening. And I have to say, in this moment, I am relating more to Suki. Also, as we see in the next couple scenes, there are good strawberries available within the town of Stars Hollow. So is Jackson just really bad at his job? He was really shifty about these strawberries. I think something shady is going on. I don't know. I don't know. I'm starting to wonder what Jackson's deal is. Maybe a beloved member of his friends or family was underneath the strawberries when they collapsed and suffocated them, and he just doesn't want to talk about the strawberries. And now he just can't work with strawberries ever again. So maybe he has strawberry trauma? Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, that's possible, but I'm wondering if he's not trying to sabotage the wedding. And if so, oh. is he trying to sabotage it because he's in love with one of the people getting married, or is he trying to sabotage Lorelai's in for reasons that were not clear? He can't be the only fruit supplier because as we see later, Dozie's has really good fruit. So why doesn't she just go there if Jackson is so bad at this? I don't, I mean, she might want to consider her other options for sure. Did you notice that Suki has like a thousand braids in her hair? I did not notice Suki's hair in that moment. It was very Britney. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. This is a very early aughts look. Suki's very (laughs) of the moment right now. Yeah, she's trying to be very hip. I don't think it works, but, you know, you do you, Suki. So Lorelai is doing this thing that I used to do, which is whenever I have anything that's stressing me out or that's giving me anxiety in my personal life, I, like, go to work and word vomit all over unsuspecting coworkers, which is something I have stopped doing because that sucks. That's what I'm seeing Lorelai doing in this moment. She's very anxious about Rory's trip with her dad, and I think it's because on some level she suspects that it might go differently than she thinks it will. All right, Rachel, super salad. Choose now and you can never change your mind. Salad. I'll choose salad every time. I think I'm a soup bitch. I think I'm going to choose soup every time. Nah, salad. See, we could never share a wedding. Well, Rory and Grandpa seem to be getting to know each other a little bit better. They finished their golf game. Rory hit her golf ball into the pond. But Richard is actually being pretty supportive. So it seems like he's turned around a little bit. He had some walls up for sure. One of the things that Rory brings up is how much she wants to travel. She wants to see the world. She wants to travel all over Europe. She specifically wants to go to Fez in Morocco. Why Fez, Rory? That's such a random choice. I don't know why Fez. I think that the show has a burden now to show us why Rory has a fixation specifically with Fez Morocco. Nowhere in the series does she go to Fez. But also, I actually did look up Fez. Fez looks very beautiful. They have beautiful is Islamic temples and monuments and it does look really beautiful like I wouldn't mind going to Fez for sure but I would rather go to Casablanca or Tangiers like those I feel like those would be the stop first or maybe on a Moroccan tour or a North African tour you could say oh I'm going to stop at all these big cities in Morocco or in Northern Africa but I'm just like why Fez? Is it because it's a hat also? We're talking about Rory, so that's definitely it. (laughs) So they're walking along, and they run into a woman named Gloria. And she seems seems like, like, 
I feel like she seems very pleasant and courteous, and I think she seems lovely. Maybe she's a bitch in other ways, but man, everyone keeps saying that she's the odious woman alive, but she seems like she just doesn't have any friends, and everyone's mean to her. Let me tell you what's going on. Gloria rolls up in the golf cart. Richard and Gloria stop to talk to each other. Gloria, you look wonderful today. Where is Emily? Oh, Emily's not here. This is my granddaughter. They spend like several minutes performing this elaborate display of friendliness and friendship and like of each other. But as soon as she drives away, Richard whispers to Rory, the most odious woman alive. There's a difference between being pleasant to a person, you know, whether or not you like them because we're all humans sharing the world. But then there's taking it a step further where you pretend to really dig that person, even though you hate them. So you're saying that Gloria is very pleasant and polite. We have no idea what's going on with her, but I would say that her pleasantness and politeness in this environment gives us no information about her because Richard was chopping it up with her and he was super into her, it seemed in their conversation. The second she drove away, he was like, F that. Yeah, he even like just says, oh, you look wonderful. You could have left that out because you're really building her up. Yeah, it's just like, what is there to gain? Maybe it's because they do business here. But it also makes me sad because in the next scene, she comes up and she's being very polite and kind to the women in the steam room. And they do the same thing to her. But here's the thing. What's her real deal? I don't know what her real deal is, but it I get the impression that she's trying to be nice to everybody and everyone just doesn't like her and she doesn't have any friends. It, and that's the thing. We'll never know. It was a nice example of the deepening friendship between Richard and Rory because I know for myself, many of my uh, closest relationships have their foundations in mutual conspiratorial shit talking. He's like relating that information to her, almost kind of like he's yes. letting her in on the secret. So it's a way to invite her into his world. Yes. And by the end, they walk over to what I'm assuming is the entrance to the steam room. And Richard is now really delighted that, to be with his granddaughter. He kind of has realized Rory is not like other teenagers, which we already know that, but Richard doesn't know his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Now we are in the steam room, and then in walks our friend Richard. I love how demure he is with his glasses and his newspaper. Like, he's so Richard, even in a steam room. You know who's not demure? That older gentleman who is pissed that some other guy came up and used his golf cart number 43. He should have known. He should have known because he has been using golf cart number 43 for what? How many years? I don't even remember how many years he said. 30 years? Yeah, a really long time he said. Since the war? Since since World War I. (laughs) Yes. So it's just another example of these inside secrets that people are supposed to know or that you need to know to successfully move through that world. Also, I am curious, what is it about that specific golf cart that he is so attached to? Maybe he carved his initials into it. If he did, then maybe the guy wouldn't have used the car. I think it's just something that he gets arbitrarily mad about so that he can differentiate who, you know, what the different areas of status are within the club. Don't you know I'm a rich white guy? How dare you? But you're all rich white guys. (laughs) You imagine being that emotional about golf? I can't because I have no emotions about golf. I have the opposite of emotions about golf. There were several scenes in the show where I was like, don't fall asleep. They're playing golf. Now, I know that you had strong feelings about the other gentlemen talking about their granddaughters, specifically the one that describes his granddaughter as falling off a potato truck. He said that she looks like she fell off a potato truck. And then his friend said, oh, my granddaughter wouldn't even be caught dead here. She would rather hang out at the tattoo parlor and get piercings done than hang out with me at the country club because she's running through the streets like a rabbit dog. Guess what? I would also rather be at the tattoo parlor. What does he think is going on at the country club that's more fun than branding yourself? Being a rich white guy? Why would I want to spend time with somebody who thinks I'm like a dog? Right? And why would I want to hang out with somebody whose friend describes his granddaughter as looking like she fell off of a potato truck? It's just so outrageous to me the way that these men talk about their own granddaughters. Women! The way these men talk about women that are related to them. And then Richard smugly, you know, he's proud of Rory. And so he says, oh, well, Rory's going to Chilton. They're so impressed with that. I mean, um, it's a little bit frustrating, though, to see what is pride in a person in this world. It's like, oh, your granddaughter is ugly and has tattoos. My granddaughter is going to a private school institution. So she's better than yours. 
you know, right at the end of the previous scene, we see Richard with a smile on his face. We see that change in him. And now that he's getting to know his granddaughter, he really likes her. He doesn't just love her because she's his granddaughter. Yeah. He genuinely likes her as a person. Yes. And we see how proud he is now in the mm-hmm. steam room. Like, yeah. oh, look at these other granddaughters. Like, mm-hmm. I am so proud of my granddaughter. And I actually really like her. Also, I think especially on top of having Lorelai as a daughter... Because Lorelai just did not fit into that family Mm -hmm. and never did and never was going to. And so now they finally have someone that does fit in. And I definitely relate because I don't fit in with my family. I love my family, but I absolutely do not fit in. But I have my niece, Braylon, Mm -hmm. who is my sister's daughter. My sister always tells me all the time that Braylon reminds her of me so much. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I'm like, yes, I can actually have someone in the family to relate to. Now, Braylon is only 12, but still, she (laughs) I'll take what I can get. I I will take what I can get. And so it's like that moment when you realize that you have someone in your family that not only you can relate to, but relates to you. It is a really proud moment. Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely think that their relationship so far appears to be cute. So moving on next to the girls' steam room, and we see the same thing, only now with women, older women sitting, and they're gossiping because, of course, that's what women do, but at least they're not bashing their granddaughters. It sounds like one of their friends shot somebody. True, and (laughs) it's even better because they're really proud of her. But then, of course, we see Gloria come in, and and again, she's so nice. that woman. Well, I just feel bad for her because I relate to her as someone who has a hard time making new friends, especially. It's so much harder to make friends when you're old. And she's really just trying to be friendly with these women. She's not being mean. She's not trying to impugn on their conversation or like needle in. She's just being kind. And then again, the women were, we have to play a game. Like, why would you invite that if you don't like her? Because all you're doing is like dangling a piece of candy in front of her. But the part I do like is that it goes over to Rory and Rory has a little smile because like you brought up earlier, she now knows that she is in on the secret about Gloria. So Mm -hmm. she's smiling because she was like... Oh, Grandpa let me in on this. So, like, I know. So, it's like, that is cute. They're now both really finding that they are connecting really well. And it's a turning point for them. For sure, because now they're going to have stuff to talk about. Now, I want to move on a little bit. I want to talk about all the actors and actresses in this scene. I actually looked up every single actor and actress, even the ones that aren't named. Uh They actually all have a very rich acting history. Years and years and years of work. So they're not nobodies. I don't necessarily know them. I was actually really surprised because they're not just random side actors. But specifically who I want to focus on is Julian. Julian is my favorite. He's the one who was pissed about his golf cart because he should have known. He's wearing his cute little old man glasses. He's just a little chunky old white guy. And I love him. He's so funny and weird. But the reason why I want to talk about Julian specifically is because the actor who plays Julian, Charles Stevenson Jr., appears several times throughout this show as different characters. And remember I told you in another episode that Amy loves recycling her actors. And this is a good example of that. So he will show up in Gilmore Girls two more times times making three total in this episode he plays julian in season four he plays reverend wilder and that's a really funny character that'll be fun when we get there and then in a year in the life he plays charlie the old man who works at the stars hollow gazette okay and like i love it when he's like charlie rory goes charlie did you fall asleep on the computer again he goes no i had coffee today He's always plays such like a funny old man character and like he just has a really great presence in all the characters he plays. Julian is no exception. I'll never think about the women in the steam room ever again, but I always think about Julian. Now we're back at the Independence Inn. Lorelai is still getting this really big wedding ready and in walks Sean Gunn. And yet again, Sean Gunn is no longer playing Mick, and he's not yet playing Kirk. He's credited as the swan guy on IMDb. It should be the swan man. I'll fix it. (laughs) Swan guy has absolutely no idea what's going on. Do you know where the pond is? No. Do you know that little road they came down? No. Do you know how to say big help in Chinese? No. Well, I actually looked that up. Big help in Chinese is dying bum wing. She's Michelle to come show swan man where the pond is. 
Michelle has some swan trauma. When he was young, he was attacked by a band of swans in the Luxembourg garden. But then Drella rolls up, calls him Pepe Le Pew, and then moralizes like, yeah, you had to choose between Drella and the swan. I would have chosen the swan too. I kind of wonder if maybe Amy has some swan trauma because not to give a spoiler away, but this comes up in season three. Now, this is the first time where we hear Michelle reference Paris because he brought up Luxembourg Gardens. Chrisanne and I were both in Paris last year in 2019 separately, but we both happened to go to Paris on different trips. Did you go to the Luxembourg Gardens? I did. I went to the Luxembourg Gardens and I had my sketchbook and I sat and I drank wine and I sketched and I listened to the read. Did you see any swans? I did not see any swans, no. Did you hear any swans conk? I did not notice any swans honking. I don't recall ever seeing a swan in Paris. Listen, because you're not watching the swans, the swans are watching you. (laughs) As you said, Drella comes up and she calls Michelle Pepe Le Pew. For those younger of the generation, Pepe Le Pew was a French skunk from the Looney Tunes cartoons that was always trying to get it on with this cat because the cat always found itself in hijinks where like she'd accidentally walk under a paintbrush and it would paint a white strip on her back. And so Pepe Le Pew always thought she was a skunk and he was in love with her. But because he was a skunk and he was stinky, she didn't want to have anything to do with it. So that's Pepe Le Pew. That's pretty sad. I know. Poor Pepe Le Pew, he's just looking for, he's just looking for love. It goes to show that that was a very lazy reference for Drella to make toward Michelle, because Michelle, I'm certain, does not stink and certainly is not in love with anyone that we see thus far, certainly not with Drella. And I have a question. So as Michelle is walking away with Swan Man, Drella looks back at him and says, I don't remember what exactly she says. She says, hate to hear the talk, love to watch the walk. And this is the second episode in a row where someone watches Michelle walk away and comments on the way he is walking. What is it about his walk that's so arresting? I don't know. He's a lovely looking man. He's very fit. He is all about looks. He, throughout the show, is very obsessed with his weight and diet and exercise. So he's very, very vain and cares a lot about his body and how he looks. So maybe that's the way to kind of impress that upon. Because honestly, it, it usually comes from Lorelai, but in a teasing manner. So she's not actually yeah. sexually attracted to Michelle. Yeah, that's how it was. I think that she likes messing with him because she knows how important it is to him. So she like, oh, you want to look sexy? Well, yeah, sexy man. Ooh, la la. You're like, but again, we're going back to what we talked about before where they've worked together for forever. They totally have that relationship. Either way, after Drella spoke her truth about it, Lorelai is horrified because it's one thing to joke about it. It's another thing to be really genuinely into it. Back to the country club, Rory has some intel. So she reveals that Richard's broker, Mr. Neville, likes to wear frilly clothing. Well, he likes all things frilly. All things Richard appears to be alarmed at this, probably variety of isms, you know, possibly a concern that Mr. Neville might be trans or a cross-dresser. It's definitely queer phobia. Yeah, there's some queer phobia going on with Richard. Um, Rory actually does sweep in and say that actually has nothing to do with his job, so chill out. Yeah, Rory is the sensible mindset here. And Rory is always open-minded in every situation, even with Lorelai when she's a little close-minded about things. Rory is very young and liberal, and she has open minds to things. She doesn't think anything of it. As Rory and Richard are gossiping together, and Rory is spilling all the dish on these people that Richard knows and associates with, Richard says, oh my gosh, Like they're all involved in nefarious actions. Like I don't know who to trust. It's Peyton Place. Peyton Place was definitely before my time. I've always just assumed they were talking talking about like a soap opera or something, but I never really knew what it was. So I looked it up. Peyton Place actually started as a book that was very popular in the 50s. It was a movie that was very popular. And because of the popularity, it went over into a TV show. It was a primetime high class soap opera about secrets of sex and murder in a small New England town. Oh, wow. So it's pretty relatable in this conversation. It literally is Peyton Place. And it ran from 1964 to 1969. That may not seem like a long time. That's only five years. But it had over 500 episodes because it was so popular. They played it up to three times a week. Wow. The two older men from Steam Room ask if they can join the lunch. We can see for a split second on her face. No, she don't want these people interrupting her lunch with her grandpa. She does not want to hang out with them. But she has quickly learned because quickly her face turned into a smile. and She says, sure. I don't think that's true. I didn't get that impression at all. That's the impression I got. I think that she's 
just a nice girl. I don't think she minds one way or the other. I think she did. Because I feel like she was having, like, this bonding conversation with her grandpa, and then these, like, two annoying old men came up and were barging in. I don't know. I'm going to disagree with you on that. Okay, we have two different perspectives. They do mention Fez again, and Julian is on my side. He also doesn't know why Roy wants to go to Fez. Why Fez? He says, and I quote, what the hell is in Fez? <laughs> that was a pretty good Julian impression. <laughs> but then Richard, with his more developed affection for Rory, says, that's for her to find out. So we are back at Luke's diner. Rory is waiting for Lorelai, and while she is waiting, Luke comes up. She shares with him that she went golfing with her grandpa that day. Luke never misses an opportunity to make someone feel bad about something. Comments on the fact that golf courses are a terrible use of land resources, which is true. Now, I'm kind of upset because in the background, Luke's specials are the same. They didn't change at all. And I was really excited to maybe kind of catch if Luke's specials ever changed. But it still says it's the same specials on the blackboard, except for now I can see that there's also a BLT and chicken pot pie along with the hamburger and key lime pie. Come on, Luke, mix it up. Well, more like set designer, do your job. Also, hey, do you want me to ruin this scene for everybody? Yeah. When Lorelai and Rory are sitting down at the table, you can very clearly see the key light reflected in the napkin holder. Tell me what a key light is because I do not make films. A key light is pretty much the main light that lights a scene. Ah, so they missed it. Once I saw it in the napkin holder, I couldn't unsee it. And so now that's going to happen to you. <laughs> All the suspension of disbelief is over. Lorelai comes in, is so relieved to see Rory and to hopefully help her unload from what was in her mind likely a very horrible experience for Rory. So she's a little bit put off that Rory seems to have enjoyed her day of golf with her grandpa. She's still wearing the hat from earlier, but now the hat has taken on a different dimension as a symbol of Rory's relationship with her grandpa. Or as a symbol of Rory kind of melding into the world that Lorelai very specifically left. Yes. So yeah, they're having conversations about the day. Rory shares that, you know, they had a giant lunch. She steamed. She took a steam. She took a steam. You took a steam? Rory keeps saying, it was quite, quite. And then Laura like keeps getting fixated on the fact that she says quite. I'm surprised that Rory hasn't already been saying quite. That seems like something that she would have said ordinarily anyway. You can tell that Lorelai is very worried. Not only surprised, but she's also like, you're supposed to be mine. You're supposed to be like me. But she does a very good thing as a mother and she changes her tune. She understands that she has to be supportive of her daughter. And now that she understands that it went well, she says, the hat does look good on you. I think it's cute. Giving Rory the approval that she's glad that she has found this love and relationship in her grandfather. But you can still see it in her eyes. She is sad and she is worried. One last thing. Why would she bring chocolate cake into a diner that just seems rude it's a slap in the face i understand that it's suki's chocolate cake but keep it in your purse i've worked in restaurants for so long and you are not allowed to bring in outside food into restaurants you're just not i wonder how luke would feel about that he'd probably be super pissed off luke gets mad about a lot of stuff there's no way he wouldn't get mad about that no if you're in luke's you're eating key lime pie or you are eating nothing this wedding is utterly ridiculous. It is way too over the top. The frilly purple tulle and Lorelai was just talking about the locusts that were supposed to turn into butterflies, but they sprung out early and now they're in their swans. It's way too over the top. And you know me, I, I do want to get married someday, but I want to like go to Humble Park out of nowhere one day and like wear a cute dress with five people or whoever responds to my text and then go out to eat afterwards. That's it. This wedding is so disturbing to me. Because of the size, not because it's a double wedding of like doppelgangers? I think everything about this wedding is so disturbing to me. It's way over the top, even for one person. But the fact that we know that it's a twin wedding. And we aren't even actually at the wedding yet. We're still in the planning part. Listen, I love fancy stuff. The shade of purple of that tool and the fact that that's the only shade of tool that's like around is a little bit overwhelming for me. It's bleh. Yeah, it's not great. It definitely looks a bit like a very stressful and overwhelming situation, even though Miss Patty takes the opportunity to give quote unquote dance lessons, which is really just an excuse for her to dance with beautiful men, which sure, you got to take, you know, you see a situation, swerve in there, make it yours. I can respect that. Lorelai walks inside and Rory is being her studious self and they get a phone call from Richard. Hi, dad. Of course it's Lorelai. Who else calls you dad? But it's not for Lorelai. It's for Rory.
Mrs. Shales and Dreller are walking in. Mrs. Shales says that Jackie wants Samuel Barber, John Cage, and Philip Glass. All three of those are American composers. And Jess wants Shania Twain's I Feel Like a Woman. In what planet would that sound good? Listen, I I respect hearts. I Feel Like a Woman is a classic song. Not sure how we're putting those together. Not sure why she thought that was a good idea. This is one instance where I do full-heartedly agree with Drella. No. That's like asking someone today to play like Bruno Mars on the harp. It's weird. It doesn't work. Of course, Drella can be bought. When the mother of the bride offers her a cool hundo to play the Shania Twain song, she agrees to it. Listen, I can respect the hustle, but let's push it a little bit further. She can afford more than $100. Know your worth, Drella. I do agree that that is ridiculous. I do disagree that that is a classic song. I think it was a ridiculous song back then. And I think it's a ridiculous song now. I also think it's a really stupid wedding song choice. It is because isn't like Shania Twain feeling like a woman, like going out at the club, being single and free. Was it was holy matrimony? It's the prerogative to have a little fun, yeah. This is the content you came for. This is the content you're getting. We now find ourselves on the porch of Lorelai and Rory's house. Lorelai makes a joke about the fact that Rory is staring in the mirror, and then she comes up with an idea. Since Rory has already spent her Sunday golfing with Grandpa, maybe that should count as a Friday dinner. Rory's not as excited about that idea as she and her grandpa have been in communication, specifically about a book, Mencken's Christomathy. We've crossed the line now for Lorelai. She can't hold in her frustration about the situation anymore. She kind of loses a little bit of control. It culminates with Rory being the more mature person and withdrawing from the very unproductive, very strange conversation. The book that Rory mentions that her grandfather wants to give her at dinner, which is one of the reasons why she wants to make sure she goes to dinner, is Minkin's Christomathy. This actually will come up at least one more time in this show, which is weird because what a obscure reference. Minkin's Christomathy is a collection of H.L. Minkin's writings. He was a Baltimore journalist and I... I don't know why in particular this is a literary thing. Do you know? Is this like a thing? Never heard of it. Me neither. I even tried to look it up. I tried to do research on why this is important and I still don't get it. But it will come up again, which is just so bizarre to me. Babette comes over asking for a shoehorn and oil because Cinnamon, her cat, is under the porch Now, I have cats, and I've had cats for a long time, and I've never been in a situation where I had to use a shoehorn or oil on them, so that's new. What I love is the fact that Babette does not have either a shoehorn or oil, but she knows for a fact that if she goes to the Gilmore house, they will have both of those items ready to go. That's a good point. (laughs) The reason why it even happened in the first place is because Babette was in a trance from her husband, Maury, playing Thelonious Monk on the Steinway. Steinway, of course, is a popular piano. And Thelonious Monk, the legendary American jazz musician. Now, I don't know jazz well enough Mm -hmm. to know what Maury is playing when he gets back on the piano and get Babette to come back home. I couldn't tell. And I saw a few references to Thelonious Monk and I listened to it, but it did not sound the same as what Maury was playing. So if any listeners out there know what Maury is playing at the end of that scene, please let us know. We would love to find out. Definitely not something that's verifiable to our ears. But one of my favorite things about this scene is the fact that Rory and Lorelai are yelling about boobs. (laughs) And then at the end, we just hear very fancy piano music playing, which is such a a wonderful juxtaposition of high culture and like the most ridiculous argument of all time. I also want to bring up the Madonna and Sean Penn reference. Wow. First of all, not only is that a dated reference, even when the show came out, but it also came back around to today. I'll talk about in a second, but I literally do not care about either of them. I do not care about Sean Penn or Madonna. And I definitely don't care about their marriage. And their marriage was not relevant in 2000. So I don't even understand why it was referenced. They were married for four years. And apparently it was a really abusive relationship. And they divorced in like 1989. So why on earth would Rory even 
feel like bringing that up? And why would Lorelai want them to? I'm not sure why they would want them to get together. And I'm not sure what Madonna was doing at the time. I feel like at the turn of the millennium, Sean Penn had a lot of high profile roles. So I can see my, he might be in the general consciousness at the time, but I definitely have never had an emotion about their relationship, except that I heard it was abusive. So when did Milk come out? Milk came out a little bit later in the decade, I think. I'm not sure exactly. I'm thinking of movies like I Am Sam. Or, oh, that's right. You You're know. right. We actually have Milk on the shelf. You could look. Oh, yeah. That's better. It's right there. There's a few other things that came out around 2008. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was way later. Well, didn't you tell me that you just heard that Sean Penn was in another abusive relationship? Or something? I had heard that because he and Charlize Theron were together for a while and then the relationship ended kind of abruptly. I don't remember for sure, but I believe there were allegations of abusive behavior on his behalf. So Very interesting. <sighs> yeah. The next day, I'm assuming, Lorelai and Suki are walking through the town of Stars Hollow and she's telling Suki about the fight that happened and she's actually communicating to Suki the origin of her frustration. I wish she would say that to her daughter, but she doesn't. She's not being communicative. She doesn't understand why Rory would want to be in that world because Rory is supposed to be following in Lorelai's footsteps. Lorelai is just trying to navigate her own feelings. She recognizes that she lashed out about the boob sweater in a very childish way. So at least she recognizes that she's being a really big baby about it. I do want to point out Lorelai's shirt because it's so cute. It caught my eye. It says Rosie's Truck Stop, Route 10, Exit 9, All Truckers Welcome. And you can actually buy this shirt online just google rosie's truck shop and you can purchase that shirt and it's a lot better than suki's weird rhinestone tie-dye shirt i i will admit that i did not really look closely at what suki was wearing because she's starting to slip back into it again suki gets very distracted and just darts into the middle of the street she's and a biker flips over her collides with her flips over her and falls off his bike and then lorelei has to be the one to check on the biker because suki literally does not even notice she is in another dimension right now because she looked across the street and she happened to see strawberries. What's really going on? Because Jackson said that his strawberries got fucked up and that's why he couldn't bring the strawberries to Suki for the strawberry shortcake for the wedding. So why is it that this other vendor has a whole giant section full of strawberries? What's really going on, Jackson? So Suki, she's grabbing piles of them. She's Yeah, what is she she's doing? Grabbing piles of, she's grabbing piles of handfuls of strawberries and then moving them from the strawberries to another fruit section. There's no basket. There's no bag. There's no... What is she doing? Just, yes. just grab the whole box, Suki. Just grab, just the, grab the whole just box. Whatever she was doing, Jackson seen it. Jackson just happens to walk by and he sees Suki freaking out over these strawberries and cheating on him with another fruit vendor. So he's gonna act all betrayed like Suki did something to him. But listen, Jackson, you dropped the ball. Suki was counting on you for strawberries. You and Suki have an implicit relationship where it is understood that you provide her with the ingredients that she needs to fulfill her duties, her calling as a chef. She needed from you strawberries. You brought blueberries and you didn't have a good reason for bringing blueberries. Now she found strawberries. I don't know what happened with your strawberries, Jackson, but whatever it was, these other people didn't drop the ball on their strawberries and their strawberries are good. A bitch is gonna get her strawberries where a bitch needs to get her strawberries. You don't have the right to be mad. End of story, Jackson. End of story. You had one job and you failed. We hear some music fade up into transition. It's Louis Armstrong's A Kiss to Build a Dream On. And this version is quite offensive. It is sung by a very boring white man. And I feel like it is absolutely bastardizing the genius that is Louis Armstrong. And so now we're at this ridiculous twin wedding. It's hovering over everybody dancing to this Louis Armstrong song. And we see Miss Patty. And I'm sorry, I love Miss Patty. But for a dance teacher, she's a really bad dancer. There was no good dancing happening in this scene at all. But what kind of dancing were we expecting at this twin wedding? There is not going to be good dancing at this wedding. And then we see Mrs. Shales. She's joyful. She has champagne. I'd be happy too. I wish I had a glass of champagne in my hand right now. And she sees Lorelai. She walks up. Lorelai's dress is pretty interesting. And I love that on one of her hands, she has her hand hidden in her sleeve. I used to do that all the time. Uh -huh. I, st I still do that with long sleeves sometimes. But definitely in high school, I wore out all my long sleeves because I always had my hands in them and stretched them out. So I can relate to that. 
But Lorelai is a child, and we know that, and it's kind of like a child trait to do that. Like a defense mechanism? No, it's just maybe I think that because when I was a child, I did that, and I don't do that so much as an adult. Because this event reminds her so much of the types of events that she would have had to attend it when she was a child, there's probably some part of her that is reverting back to that place. Interesting you say that. When she's talking to Rory, she sees a mother and a daughter, and she's very reminiscent of her childhood because it's exactly what she had to do and where the mom is acting just like Emily, putting a lot of pressure on her to be a very specific way. And she relates that to Rory, and Rory has no idea. They have this separation from the grandparents, but part of that is Rory didn't get to grow up with the good stuff, but Rory also didn't have to grow up with the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. Rory is finally getting it and she says thank you for not putting me in a dress like that which is her way of saying thank you for not making me grow up in that environment that's something that Lorelai needed to hear was that Rory does still appreciate all of the work that Lorelai did that's something that Rory needed to hear that's something that Lorelai needed to say but also once Lorelai shared that story with Rory having Rory indicate that she was appreciative that is something that Lorelai needed to hear Absolutely. And then, of course, in the background, we hear Sister Sledge. So now we have two Black musicians being sung by white people at an all-white wedding in Connecticut. There was one Black couple dancing at the wedding. That's not enough. Well, not only is it not enough, but they weren't dancing well either. All right, everybody, we are now to the last scene. And this scene really hit me hard. It hit me very personally. I have a lot of feelings about it, which we can get into. You are allowed to cry. Crying is a valid form of emotional expression. That's what my therapist told me this week. Hey, that's good. Rory and Lorelai once again arrive for Friday evening dinner. Lorelai comes bearing gifts. She has a box of leftover blueberry shortcake which we are currently eating right now I'll, I'll post pictures on our instagram it is very good Emily's a little bit less than impressed which is her default mode with lorelei they're in the drawing room emily has been waiting all week to rub in lorelei's face how good of a time rory and richard had together lorelei's trying to be a good sport but let's hurry up and pour this wine emily at least give her some booze then richard walks in he lightly greets his daughter but then his focus turns 100 to rory because Rory is his new BFF. I not only found that copy of Mencken's Christomathy, but also the first edition of his memoirs. And Rory just cannot wait. She's over the moon. Again, never heard of him. But I'm not a journalist, so maybe he is a writer hero of Rory's. I don't know. It's never established. But man, does Rory ever fucking love Mencken. It's not a relatable moment. I mean, good for her. But she has an outlet now with her grandfather because she can't really pursue that interest with her mother. But now she has this in her grandfather and they are both excited because Richard probably doesn't talk about Mencken with a lot of people either. On top of that, Emily uses it as a weapon. And this is the part that is very personal and and hits very close to home for me. Mm Because this is the dynamic of myself in my family. And many times there have been certain people in my family that have used the fact that I can't relate as a weapon and on purpose. Emily isn't doing that because she's genuinely interested in Mencken's memoirs. She's using it 100% specifically to hurt and alienate Lorelai. So when Lorelai is left there on the couch by herself, it honestly makes me want to cry because that was literally me growing up all the time because no one tries to relate to me on my level and they're already in their own world together and I'm an outsider. One of the reasons why I relate so much to Lorelai is because of this. Growing up, I felt like Lorelai all the time. And when I saw these things happening in this TV show, when Gilmore Girls came out, I very much was drawn to Lorelai 100% because of this relationship. And that is the number one thing that has always bonded me to this show. I've even heard some people say that their relationship is a little over the top, but it's not. I've actually had actual arguments with my parents that happened in this show. And like, I do love my parents very much. I love my family. That's not it. And I know they love me too. And when I have really needed them, like during my darkest times, they have never hesitated to be there for me. And that's what really matters in the end. But it doesn't erase these very subtle moments that weaponized love against me. So I don't know if any of you out there can relate, but trust me, this is a real thing. And have some sympathy for Lorelai in this moment because it is real. 
Adam had to follow that up. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Sorry, we had a. Do we, not apologize. We were having a great time, and then I swooped in no, and made it really we, dark. No, no, we are still having a good time. You can't have a good time without being able to have a dark time as well. Yeah, it was a, a moment where Lorelai is in the frame and she is very much alone. And it feels like maybe it's the first time that she's really been alone because when she left the house, it was her and Rory. It was her and Rory against the world. And now Rory is seeing that world. She's liking it. And it's going to be hard for her not to feel betrayed on some level. And that's not fair, but that doesn't mean it's not a real feeling. So then we fade out with Sam Phillips. Here they go. Lorelai sips her wine alone, and the scene ends. Do, 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 do. Now for the arts and entertainment shelf. So I know we ended on a low note in this episode, but let's switch over to the arts and entertainment shelf because that always cheers me up. So the arts and entertainment shelf is when I list all of the music, movies, and books, and TV show, any pop culture media that's referenced in the show, and we talk about it. So in this episode, the music mentioned is Samuel Barber, American composer of orchestral, opera, choral, and piano music. John Cage, another American composer, pioneer of electric orchestral combinations. And Philip Glass, American composer and pianist. As well as Shania Twain, specifically the song I Feel Like a Woman. Louis Armstrong, specifically the song A Kiss to Build a Dream On. Sister Sledge's We Are Family, Sam Phillips, Here They Go, and of course, as we mentioned previously, the legendary Thelonious Monk. Chrisana, how familiar are you with this music list? Mostly not. I'm going to look at your list because you say a lot of people. I know there's a uh, lot of music reference in this one. I know the names of Samuel Barber, John Cage, and Philip Glass, so I'm sure I'm familiar with their music, but not in a way that like, if I heard it, I would knew, know it was them. Shania Twain, I've already indicated that I find that to be a classic. Louis Armstrong, A Kiss to Build a Dream on. I'm familiar with Louis Armstrong, but I don't know like song titles. I just know the general sound. Um, I'm Not Dead, so yes, I know We Are Family by Sister Sledge. Um, <laughs> that song has been playing every other hour for my entire life. Gotcha. Um, Sam Phillips, Here They Go, yes. I've been watching this show. And then Thelonious Monk. Once again, I'm sure I have heard Thelonious Monk. But I wouldn't know if I heard a song. Oh, that's Thelonious Monk. Right. But obviously familiar with the name. I'm definitely on this list most familiar with Philip Glass and Shania Twain and Louis Armstrong and Sister Sledge. The other composers, those names do not ring a bell. I am quite familiar with Philip Glass. Louis Armstrong, of course, is a legend as well. Thelonious Monk, again, I don't really care about jazz music. I'm sorry for any jazz enthusiasts out there. But to quote Angela from The Office, jazz is stupid. Just play the right notes. I just can't get into jazz, okay? And no, I do not consider Louis Armstrong classic jazz because he's better than jazz. He just is. Also, I play the trumpet, so I'm immediately drawn to Louis Armstrong. I, I respect jazz, and there is jazz that I like, but I cannot say that I am well versed in it. So like, I respect jazz. I don't respect smooth jazz, but that's a whole nother podcast. Um, but I do respect jazz in general, but I also What's don't- smooth jazz like Kenny G? Yes. <laughs> Kenny G and his friends. All right, moving on to books. The books mentioned in this episode are, of course, Mencken's Christomathy, a 1948 collection of writing from H.L. Mencken commenting on newspaper, how women are treated, race, democracy, etc. I don't really know if it is progressive writing. I kind of alluded to that, but there was also very specific things that they talked about that did not seem very progressive. So again, I'm not willing to read H.L. Mencken for this podcast. I'm sorry, but I don't care. No, what's, what's the deal with Mencken? <laughs> the one thing I can quote that I saw in my research is H.L. Mencken wrote, democracy is the art and science of running the circus from the monkey cage. Okay. Take that however you want. Moving on. The next thing that is mentioned is Peyton Place. Peyton Place was a book, movie, and TV show. So if it's all our categories, there really weren't any movies referenced in this episode. So we can't really talk about that. And that is it for the arts and entertainment shelf. Join us next time for episode four, The Deer Hunters. 
See ya. This has been Welcome to Stars Hollow, the podcast. For more episodes, make sure to subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. For extra fun, find us on Instagram at at Stars Hollow Pod. Is that blood? <laughs> yes, it's blood coming from the sky, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's gorgeous, but the sky looks like we're about to enter World War. Right? It's absolutely beautiful. And it's beautiful in, a, in like the way that life is beautiful before it ends. <laughs> <laughs>